Good morning to all of our online campuses, all of the Freedom Center campuses. Welcome, Pastor Jason here, and I have the honor of speaking today, and I would love to start with a story. So there's a story, and it goes like this. I just heard it recently. It's a great story about this widow who was praying. She's praying because she didn't have any food in her pantry. And so she begins to pray, and she's on her knees, and out loud she said, God, fill my pantry. Lord, just fill my pantry, God, I believe you. And day after day she would pray this, and then one day there's a knock on the door. She goes to the, open the door. She opens it up, and she finds bags of groceries on her porch. She was like, God, you did it. God did it. And she just said over and over, God did it. And it was so cool. She was celebrating. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps out of the bushes. He's like, ha ha, got you. And she looked at him like, what in the world? And he said, I got you. I'm your neighbor. And I hear you all the time, every day, praying, God, provide this and provide that. Well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. And I just wanted to prove a point that you look ridiculous praying to a God that doesn't exist. I bought those groceries. I put them on your porch. And she looked at him very confused, just stopped, and she said, hmm. And then you saw this gleam in her eye, and she began to smile, and she said, God did it. God did it. God did it. And so she begins to praise him, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. You don't understand. I was next door. I heard your prayers. God did not hear your prayers. I heard your prayers. I took my credit card. I went to the store. I picked out the groceries, put them in the cart that we checked out. I paid with them with my money, my bank account, and I put them in the bag. And then I brought them here and I put them on your porch and I knocked on the door just to show you that your God does not exist. And she, she looked at him again like, hmm. And she stopped and she said, man, God did it. God did it. God did it. And then he made the devil pay for it. It's just a great story. Uh, I love that story. I heard it and I said, I have to share that. And so I wanted to share that story just to give you guys a smile and uh, maybe give a, a fresh perspective on the way we handle our circumstances. But today we're talking about faith and deeds. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. So God, I, I love you and I praise you. And I pray, God, that you would just pour out your spirit at this time. I praise you that you would give us revelation of your truth, pierce our hearts, change our minds, transform us into you, your image, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting off, you got to go to James. Faith and deeds is the topic. Faith and deeds is uh, it's a great topic. It's an interesting topic. It's this, this head game, if you will. But James, one of my favorite books of all times. It's a short book. You should read the book. You should read it a lot, study it. But in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, it says this. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Such such, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith with the deeds, with, or by my deeds rather. He says, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. You foolish person. Do not, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Then he goes into the Old Testament. He says, was our, was our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled when it's, that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
and he was called God's friend. I'm just going to pause there for a second and just take for a minute. Imagine your kid, your son, your one and only son, and you're going to go and you're going to sacrifice him on an altar because God told you to. There's so much more to that too, the promises and the old age and, the, and he is, the whole entire lineage comes through that person and he's about ready to sacrifice it. He gave his all. He gave everything to God. And this, and this is just talking about faith and deeds and the faith and then the deed that he was about to do. So then it goes on and it says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave, gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Totally different concept, but the same thing is happening. There's an action that was, came out of an overflow of the heart. That's where it starts. Everything is out of overflow. And obviously, we're going to get into that. As the, body is, or as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without, with the, or so faith without deeds is dead. We are products of our environment. We are products of our environment. So let's go, go back. So I read that, that faith and deeds, the whole thing James is kicking out. And then we go, okay, big picture. Out of the abundance of their heart, right? And I think I actually, am, I'm going to share that verse later. But out of the abundance of their heart, something happened. There was an action that took place. There were thoughts that were, that were processed correctly. And then something was stored up in their heart. And then out of their mouth, things were spoke. And then actions began to take place. And there's this process. That is the process. But it does start here. And so as a child, though, we're products of our own environment. And as a child, you don't get to choose your environment. So it's not necessarily fair. What You, know, you might have grown up this way or that way. And we all have scars or whatever. We all have our own culture that we were raised in. And those things are now in us. And, and I think the older you get, the more you realize that um, you, you begin to unravel those things. And it's kind of like if you ever had a knot in a fishing line, that's kind of what it reminds me of as you unravel these things. And you're like, I didn't even know that was there. I didn't even know I was dealing with that. But you're, you're a product of your environment. So how do we create that, cultivate that environment? You had no choice as a child. But the thing is, if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you're not a child. You're not a child. And so now you do have a choice. So maybe you didn't and maybe you have a past and maybe you have a history. Guess what? We all do. Every single one of us have something in our past that shifted us. And because we don't live in a culture of a, just a kingdom culture, we live in somewhere in between, right? Where we're in between. And this is happening with heaven and hell are raging all the time. Um, it, it's up to us. As an adult, it is up to you. So the questions you have to ask yourself are like this. What do you spend your time? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your time like investing into? So I would ask, how much time do you spend with God in the Lord, in the word, in prayer, in giving? And there's so many things that you could, you could just say, okay, how much time do I invest into the Lord? And then the question that, you know, everybody probably, myself included, would want to avoid, how much time do I invest into your flesh? And, and this is it, right? You've heard the old, the old saying about it's the two dogs inside of you and whatever one you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. Well, if we are cultivating a heart that is for the Lord because we want to produce a fruit that is going to be good, there's going to be deeds that come from that flow, then this is the question. How much time are we spending investing into our God? How much time are we spending investing into our flesh? So you look at things like food, entertainment. I mean, some, some people 
maybe you, maybe me, hey, maybe all of us, but we, we literally schedule our lives around our menu. When's breakfast? Where's lunch? What's for dinner? How are we going to do? You have to eat and you have to plan. You have to be wise about it. But is it leading your life? And then you go entertainment. It's the same thing. Screen time. It's not just going to the movies. It's not just going out to do a thing. But we have entertainment at our fingertips all the time, all the time. And we can pretend like uh, it's work. We can t- you know what? They have this neat little thing that uh, calculates your screen time. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. But if you swipe and you find it and you look at it, it can be a little bit gut-wrenching because, you know, I can't believe I just wasted an hour and a half doing whatever, fill in the blank. And, and at the times I have checked it, I would say almost always, maybe not always, but almost always, it's higher than I anticipated it being because I always want to I give myself the benefit of the doubt, right? That's what we do. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Imagine for a minute, if you would, with that screen time calculator that tells you how much you spent on texting and Facebook and Instagram and uh, productivity and scheduling and calendar and videos and all the stuff. It tells you how much on each one and it tells you your average screen time for the day just on your phone alone. Imagine for a minute, if you would, when we ask this question, how much time or how much time do you invest into your into your flesh? Could you imagine if there was a screen time calculator for our eyes and ears? Yeah. Let that one sink in. It is my responsibility. Maybe it's not my fault. What's the generation I live in? It's the world I live in. You know, it's a technologically advanced world and I have to keep, okay, you have to keep up. That's fair. That's fair. But it's not your fault. I'll give you that. It's not your fault. This is where you live. This is where you landed. But it is your responsibility. It is my responsibility to cultivate a good environment that I can produce a good fruit, that you can produce a good fruit. It's on you to cultivate that. And the real question is, am I doing that? Am I cultivating in my life as a born again Christian, someone who understands salvation from Pastor Carl's message last week? If you did not see that, go back and watch that message. He nailed it. He killed it. He did a great job of explaining not just the, the, the facts, but the heart behind it. Um, the rich young ruler is one that I think about. He, he did the right thing. And he comes to Jesus like, what, what must I do? I want, to be with, I want to be your guy. I want to be your 13th disciple. And Jesus is like, well, keep this and this and this. And he's like, oh, I did all those things. I checked all those boxes. He said, great, go give everything away because he knew he was wealthy and give it to the poor and then come talk to me. And he walked away with his hung head low knowing that he couldn't do that. He missed something. There was, a, there was a cultivating that had happened in his life, whether it was from the way he was raised or whether it was something he did himself or whatever the case may be, he was convinced in his mind that that was not worth it. I'm just here to tell you, it's worth it. I also think my wife, I think of the, the Mary who poured the oil out on Jesus' feet. My wife did a group um, Wednesday night with the Freedom Center Academy, represent Freedom Center Academy students uh, we have a life group that meets twice a month, and she taught, and she taught about that, and she began to weep before she even opened her mouth. She was talking about Mary being in the presence of God and realizing that moment and how precious it was. Mary, a prostitute who, I mean, assuming, assumingly she had nothing, but yet she took this jar of oil that was worth a year's wages, and she poured it out on the master's feet. And she began to wash his feet. And then she took her hair and she rubbed his feet with her hair, which seems really weird. But think about it from her perspective. The only thing she had, she gave 
everything. She didn't come and say, hey, I kept all the laws and the rules and the regulations. I did all this stuff. But she came from this perspective of I'm broken. I'm a mess. I need a savior. You're a savior. I'm giving you everything. I'm so thankful for what you're offering me. And she took a year's worth of wages, which for the record, I, I wish I could say I, I had a year's worth of wages saved up, but I don't. And if you're out there and you do, more power to you because uh, that is not the average American. Um, but we are in this place where she's in this place where I, her lifestyle is not a godly lifestyle. And maybe she just recognized who the master is and just gave her life to, to him. And there's this transition and she knows it. And all of a sudden she surrenders everything. She pours out all the oil, everything, washes his feet. She's weeping. And then with nothing else to give, she grabs what the Bible calls her, her glory, her hair. The only thing she had left was her pride. And not even in an unhealthy way, but her hair was something that was her glory, right? She grabs that and starts to wash his feet. Complete and total surrender to Jesus in that moment. That is so beautiful to me. The question I want to ask is this. Do when we read the word, if we read the word, we should be reading the word. You have to read the word. You have to push in to the Father. He wants to change us from the inside out. And so do we read the word when we read the word, do we read it to confirm our feelings or do we read it to conform it to what we think God should do? Like he's the cosmic bellhop and we just ring the bell. Like, hey God, I think you should do this or I think you should do that or I don't understand that so I must disregard that. Do we, we can't read it like that. We are his servants. We need to read it like we are his servants who want to be changed into his image. It's a simple question. But it's telling, right? Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God will change you. The word of God, it's, it's how we fight. It is the sword. That's how we go to war. I was thinking about this verse and a statement that one of my students made the other day. We, we circle up every morning and we do prayer and praise reports and prayer requests and just kind of get into each other's business and lives. And, and Ian Blythe, he says, he says, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. And because we, we get up and we go to the gym super early. And he's like, I get up at 5 a.m. and it's hard, and I was tired, and I didn't want to get up at 5 a.m., go figure. And he said, but I had to remind myself that it's not for me. It's for the Lord. There's that moment where as you're reading the word, you don't realize that that is the decision that came out of the overflow of the heart, of the things you stored up. So you read it, and you want an instant change. You want to see what instantly happened as you read the thing. As you, as you did what you were supposed to do, I want instant gratification because that's the world we live in, right? Phones and Pop-Tarts and microwaves and all the stuff and drive throughs and, you know, all the things that we want right now. And it's not even a fair assessment because God wants us to marinate in his presence. That way it's through and through, not just on the surface. And Ian gets it and my students get it and they're living it out and it's beautiful. Psalm 118, 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. I love the concept of that psalm and just taking and saying, whatever my scenario is irrelevant. Whether it's the day, whether it's the season, whether it's the, the whole entire year, it doesn't matter. I will take this and I choose to be obedient. I choose to be glad in it. 
I know that God has my back. I know that he has my best interest in mind. I know I'm going to stand on faith and I'm going to say, God did it. God did it. No matter what kind of weapon is formed against me, no matter how many people come in and just tell me how ridiculous I am, no matter what comes at me, I'm going to stand on faith and say, God did it. And it's, it's a beautiful place to be. God wants us to trust the process. God wants us to trust his process, not ours. This Nike slogan, so good, right? Just do it. I know you've heard it a billion times. Just do it. It's, it's not that easy, Nike. It's much harder than that. You don't just do it. It sounds so much easier than it is because you can't just go through the motions. If, I get, if you give me a checklist, I can do every single thing on that checklist. I know I can. I have no doubt in my mind. But that's not from my heart. That's from my aggression. That's from my hard-headedness. That's from my strength. And my strength is trash, right? Even if, if, even if I do the things, the, the fruit, even if I manage to do the deeds without the faith and I go through the motion and I'm checking the boxes and I'm dotting the I's and I'm crossing the T's, even if I manage to do that, it just confirms that I do not need a God in the first place. So do I really want to be able to do things in my strength? The deeds are trash without the faith. They're, they're, they're pointless. It actually does more harm. It's a crutch to help the person get to the end, which is not good. It's our actions. Pastor Carl actually said this last week, and I was like, that's so good. He said, it's our actions that put us in the spot in the first place. And I believe he was referencing Adam and Eve when they were in the garden, I believe. But either way, it doesn't matter. It still fits. It's our actions. When we do something in our strength, that's the problem. Because we can. Because we're actually strong. Because we're, we're, we're made to create. We're made to go out and, and win the world. God has given us a drive. He's given us the, the ability to thrive. Our actions, out of our strength, when, when, we, when we thought we had it under control, is not what we want. That's what puts us in the detrimental spot. In fact, what we want, what we need to pursue, what we need to cultivate, analyze, strategize to find out how do I live in my weakness? That's the goal. How do I live in my weakness? Why? Because that, in, that is the moment that God's strength then comes in and swoops in and all of a sudden you're thriving. So I'm not saying to walk around like a weak person who's battered and abused. That's not it at all. I'm not telling you to be a man who, you know, just gets walked all over or a woman who gets treated like trash and it's okay. That's not what I'm saying. It's quite the contrary. When you try to do it, you're going to hit about 20% maybe. I don't know. But when you, you stop trying and just be who God created you to be, there's a weakness that comes with that because there's a confidence. You don't have to try. You have a father who's doing it for you. John 14, 15 says it this way. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I want to be very clear. It does not say that if you obey my commandments, then you love me. There's a big difference between those two things. If you love me, the first thing is the first thing. You have to love him. There has to be faith. It has to be engaged. You have to realize the need for our Savior. You have to realize Pastor Carl's sermon and the truth of it and that we are floating around in the middle of the ocean without anybody around. And all of a sudden, this chopper comes in and drops a rope. You're going to be a happy person. You're going to be a very happy person. You're going to be celebrating. You're going to dedicate your life to paying that person back. And, you know, you owe them your, your whole entire life. Well, guess what? We owe our Father our life. Because he sent his son. So here's this, this commitment, not commitment, 
there's this thing. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's not obey my commands and that proves that you love me. It's not a box to check. It's the motivation of your heart. The motivation of your heart is everything. And I need you to hear this. The deeds flow from faith and salvation. It comes from the faith and salvation and recognizing the Savior, not to salvation. The deeds don't come first. I'm not saying you're not saved if you're not a doer. I'm not saying that uh, you don't have Christ in your heart if you're not doing. I'm saying it's time to ask a question, right? If you're like, I have faith. I don't serve. I don't give. I don't whatever, whatever, whatever. And the deeds are not there. If you have that, and that's your scenario, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's time to ask a question. Paul asked a question. Paul asked Jesus this question after having a serious encounter with Jesus. He said this in Acts 22.10. He said, what shall I do, Lord? He was a good soldier, and he was standing there waiting for direction from the Lord. And I don't think he was going to move until he heard that direction from the Lord. He said, what shall I do, Lord? And it was when Paul was under arrest. He was recounting his story. And he said, and he told that part, and he said, and I just stopped, and I said, what do you want me to do? So I, I, I give it to you guys. Ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? My wife and I have a great relationship. We just celebrated our 29th anniversary. It was awesome. And we do have a great relationship, but it's marriage, so... You know, it's a constant balancing act. And for 29 years, it has not always been pretty. And she's always been pretty, but the marriage has not because we go to war. And this picture I'm about to show you is this picture. It's a picture of love. This is what true love looks like. And you probably think I'm going to show you a picture of her and I on our honeymoon or something. No, 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 no. It's a laundry basket. That's what this picture is. Those are my shirts, two sweatshirts, actually. Um, One of them is Freedom Center Academy, again. But that is a picture of love. Why? Because my wife is awesome, and she does my laundry. And early on in our marriage, I used to take, and I used to almost hit the laundry basket every single time. And almost is not close enough. But if you look around it, you see the floor, and you see that there are no clothes on the floor. They all made it into the basket. And that may seem stupid, silly, whatever, like, but you don't know the battles that we went through to get to that spot. You don't know the sacrifices that I made. Look at this next picture. It's uh, the one with the red, see the red circle in the middle of the coat hangers? That's my clothes. You see my shoes up top. You see the coat hangers in the middle, the empty coat hangers. Again, like, yeah, everybody has coat hangers. No, 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 but check it out. We take our clothes off the hanger And then we put the hanger in the middle. This is where the empty hangers go. Everything else is for clothes. You might be laughing at this, but let me tell you, it was no laughing matter. Because the culture, in my my own culture, I I didn't understand that. So I would just go in there, I'd yank a shirt off the hanger, and wherever the hanger ended up, I'd walk away, and I'm I'm done. I got my stuff, and then I'd leave. And then, man, it had to be 10 years into the marriage. Hey, honey, can you put the hangers in the middle? Yeah, 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 whatever. Hey, honey, can you put the hangers in the... Yeah, honey, yeah, sure, great, whatever. Hey, honey, can you, uh, and over and over again, it was, can you put the hangers in the middle? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. I didn't get it. All right, I got it, but I didn't get it, right? Let me say that again. I got it, but I didn't get it. Yeah, I will. But the thing is, I'm waking up a little bit late, and I got to hurry, and I got to grab the shirt and run and grab the pants, and you know, hurry up and get ready and all this stuff. And next thing you know, I'm doing it over and over again. And I might do it for a day or two days or a week or whatever, and then it goes back to normal. And then I don't remember exactly the epic battle that we had, but I'm sure it was epic, one for the ages. And maybe she, she probably remembers, but because she's got a way better memory than mine, not saying it like that, but she's got a way better memory than I do. And 
if you notice that picture, I didn't have to stage it, right? I did not have to stage that picture. Thank you very much. That is the way we live our life. I took a picture of our bed too, because the bed is like, it's made every day. Last one out makes the bed. That's the rule. Sometimes we make it together. It just depends. And we make our bed. That was something that we developed. I didn't know that that was a thing because you're just going to sleep in it anyways. The coat hanger, you know, if you want to hang a shirt up after doing laundry, what's so hard about grabbing it from here or grabbing it from here? I know all of you just gasped, but that was my mindset. And it was just, it was ignorance. I didn't know, but I know now. I know now. I had so many excuses. I could lay out, I'm going to hurry, la, 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 la. I realized that in, in order to do that, I needed to, <laughs> I needed to have more time in my schedule. This is so silly because we're talking two seconds. I don't know. But I needed to have more time even to begin to process it. So it's not just doing the act, but it was processing. I needed to, I needed to have margin in my life. I didn't. I woke up. I got out the door as soon as I possibly could. Now, I don't do that. I have rescheduled my life and I've created margin in the morning so that I can actually process things that need to be done. And not only that, but do more. And maybe there's other things that I'm missing out on. And if I don't have things to do, I have downtime with the Lord. Wow. Even more. That's awesome. That's the way we should live our life. But it only comes because I've made a commitment to this woman to love her and cherish her like Jesus Christ loved the church. And so because of that, I'm willing to change myself. Well, that's not right. You shouldn't have to change your life. You be who God created you to be. Man, shut your mouth. That is not what God has called me to do. That is not what anybody has ever called me to do. Maybe some people would want me to stay in that rut. But that rut is killing me and my, my wife and our relationship. What God has called good. I'm not about to ruin that, right? I, what my children see when they look at our marriage, I'm fighting for that. And if I have to make a little bit of a sacrifice, so be it. I will sacrifice all day long so that, so hear me. I love my wife. We are one, hands down. Nothing, nothing, there's not even a conversation. I would do anything for her. And so that love produces deeds. I couldn't just manage to go, oh, okay, put the hanger on the, put the clothes in the hamper, you know, whatever. Rinse off the dish before you put it in the dishwasher. The little things, those little things, it's the foxes that ruin the vineyard, right? It's the small foxes that ruin the vineyard. And so I am squashing small foxes. And in that process, I have to get rid of something. And it's a word, I hate this word, entitlement. I have to lose my entitlement because if I want to thrive and I want to represent for the King of Kings, I have to die to myself and I have to love my wife like he loved the church. And Jesus loved the church very specifically. He gave his entire life for her and died. In the beginning, my heart was not in it. At the end, it was. But flip the script. If I try to, quote unquote, do things to get her to love me, that's called manipulation. And I'm only trying to be in control of this relationship. If I try to do things just to get her to love me, then I'm manipulating her. And that is absolutely corrupt, right? So change one word in that sentence and let's flip this back to God. If I try to quote unquote do things to get him to love me, then that is manipulation and I'm only trying to be in control of this relationship. You know, marriage is a foreshadowing of what is to come, the bridegroom and the bride being together. So this was already happening and God said, hey, let's do this foreshadowing thing in marriage. And so that's why marriage is hard because this is hard. We don't, we can't perceive it. We're in this culture, but we're of that culture. And so we're aliens to this world or we're not, but we're supposed to be. 
and supposed to be living in a way where my life is different, but I can't just instantly make it different. I don't have that ability, but I do have the ability to stay dedicated in the word. I do have the ability to pray and say, I'm going to pray every day, even if I don't feel it. I'm going to pray for my pantry to be full, even though I know there's no hope. And then maybe God will make the devil pay for it, right? Here's one thing I think we all need to hear and remember is that he is God and I am not. He is God and I am not. I don't want to read the word and try to fit it into my context. I don't want to try to make my feelings fit into scripture, but I want to understand and be transformed by the renewing, right, of my mind as I read the word. I want to be a brand new creation like God has called me to be. And out of that faith will come deeds and I don't have to try. So no longer do I have to try to be a son. You don't have to try to be a daughter, but you get to just be. But that also comes with some cultivating. If you have a garden, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't want to manipulate God into loving me. I don't want to manipulate my wife into loving me. In fact, it's impossible. You can't. It's the wrong motivation. You're trying to get something, something you deserve, something you're entitled to. Kill the entitlement. Kill it. He loves you with a perfect love. Now, my, my wife is human and I'm human. That one goes back and forth. But he loves us with a perfect love. God loved you 100% regardless of scenario or situation. Before you even knew him, he loved you at 100%. When you're in the middle of your sin, the worst thing you've ever done, he loved you at 100%. And today, right now, I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. He loves you at 100%. Let that one go through your brain. Let that one connect to your heart. Let that one even come out of your mouth that he loves you at 100%. That does not mean that he's not going to send people to hell. That does not mean, you know, there's so many, but he's, it's still a true fact. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you knew in full, then the deeds would come naturally. If you understood how much he loves you. It wouldn't be an issue. The process, the problem is not, is not, I can't get God to love me. I can't get him to, you know, to, I can't feel the love. The problem is not that. The problem is your ability to process it. He's doing it. He's God. He's perfect. He loves you in a perfect way. God loves you at a hundred percent, always. The only issue is our ability to accept the love. It's a free gift. He's given it to us. And out of that faith comes the deeds. He loves you with a perfect love. We are in the process of fully accepting it. Amen. Love is a choice. And from that choice of love, that strong, unshakable stance of love to my wife, I choose my thoughts and from them come my character. Now, I just want to give an example or two I just wrote down. Like, uh, I avoid prolonged conversations with women in one-on-one -on -one scenarios. I will divert my eyes from the billboards or the Instagrams or the whatever case may be. I will just try to protect my heart because I love my wife and I'm committed to her and, that, and my God, right? But all of that comes because of this. If I'm a good husband, it's only because of being a good son. If I'm a good father, it's only because I'm a good son. If I'm a good leader, it's only because I'm a good son. Over and over again, the only answer I'm ever going to have and I'm ever going to give is because I'm a good son. And that's not something I feel. It's something I've chosen to believe and I stand on the word of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Huge, 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 huge. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought. We make it obedient to Christ. This is how we win. 
This is how we win. This is how we defeat the enemy. It is a battlefield of the mind. It is up to you to take your downtime, to, if you don't have any, to get downtime, first of all, then to make a plan to cultivate how are you going to grow? How are you going to pursue God in this season? We must preload our thoughts. We must preload our responses because our knee-jerk reaction is not pretty. It takes initial time meditation. Deuteronomy 6 what is it, six, seven, and nine? It says, These commandments that I have given you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Take that sentence, take that one to heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames or your houses, of your houses and your gates. Listen, that little paragraph right there is so important. That's not what we do. Don't, it doesn't say go to church once a week and call yourself good. That's not it. Live this life. That's what God's called us to do. I, we try to do our best impersonation of someone else, but it's not good. We need to get a revival in our hearts from God. That's what we need for you and for your family. Revival production is, is just that. It's a production. It's not real. It's not, it's not a true thing. Every revival that's ever been done in the history of time starts with prayer. So pray, spend intentional time, be obedient. No good tree in Luke 6, it says no good tree bears fruit. I'm sorry, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what is the heart is full of. Take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. Take every, take an, an objective perspective and break the mold from what you're used to. It's good to get in the groove. That's a good thing. Eventually that groove becomes a rut and that rut will destroy you and, and you'll die. There's death in that. Break the mold and do something different for a change. I want to show you guys a picture. It's a video. It's online. You can look it up. This, this guy's going around. He's giving $500 to this waitress, and, to multiple waitresses. And he's, he's like, here's a tip, $500. This woman begins to weep, and she begins to give thanks. And she, he's, they, they're standing there, and she just wraps her arms around. She doesn't know this guy. She doesn't know if he's safe or unsafe. She has no clue. But in the rules, it says, if somebody does this, then you must hug them. And no, that's not the way it is. It's not in the rules. But there's an expression of gratitude that is given when something severe happens. Now, there was multiple waitresses. Some of them were like, thanks. Some of them were like, wow, that's so sweet of you. And she broke down. And then I think she's the one. She said, my rent was due and there was no way it was going to be paid. I don't have food for my kid. All this stuff. And she was in need. Mary was in need of a savior and she broke and she poured it all out and she thanked God. You know, that poor widow I talked about in the beginning when I told that story, she never changed her position. She had every reason to. This guy was obviously more educated. He came out and all that stuff. He just, he had made her look like a fool and he had all these uh, remarks that he said to her and tried to belittle her. He, he made her look like a fool, put groceries on there, knocked the door and she came out and she said, God did it, God did it. And he just came out and burst her bubble. And man, I think most of us would have buckled under that pressure. I do. And I don't think we should. I think we need to get our knees underneath us. 
We need to get grounded on the word so that we can look at scenarios when everything looks like it's, it's all hell has come and everything's falling apart and life is crazy and makes no sense. And we can say, God did it. God's doing it. God did it. That's, that's the, the foundation firm on Christ where we want to live. This is the last verse I want to share and I'm going to wrap up with this. It's Matthew 6, 33. You know, we worry about so many things. How am I going to provide? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? That's actually never, that's not what God's calling you to focus on. It's part of what we're going to do as, as husbands, as wives, as parents, but it's not our main focal point. He said this, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about the birds of the air. You know, where do they get their food from? You think they have to worry about it? Do you think they store up in storehouses? He's like, look at the, the flowers and the field. It's so beautiful. Solomon never looked that good. And he's like, seek first. Here's the answer to the question. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So that's my heart. God's love for us. Remember this. God's love for us has never diminished. Never. It is always, it has always been 100% perfect love. The issue is our ability to accept it. So God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would open our hearts and you would open our minds, God. Father, that we would be able to see things from your perspective. God, that things that are not of you would be removed and things that are you would be put in its place. God, that doors would open that need to be open. God, that doors would close that need to be closed. And I thank you for every person watching this video right now, God. And I pray for an absolute revival in their heart. In Jesus' mighty name.